as we open God's words, let's ask him. Oh, our Father, you are eternal God, the source of wisdom and knowledge. Give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope to which we have been called. May you reveal yourself to us, for we can only know you if you give yourself to be known. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I know in the bulletin it says that um, I'll be speaking on uh, the eternal begotten Son of God, our Lord. However, I felt as I was uh, studying for Lord's Day 13, I needed to do a little bit more reading and research. So I felt that um, compelled to uh, do a different text, uh, which is going to be found in Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And so the title, um, it's not in your bulletin, but it's Listening in a World of Distraction. Um, Listening in a World of Distraction. And it's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And this is uh, the scene of Martha and Mary, and this is when Jesus visits them. And so let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of God. Now as they went on their way... Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. I remember a few years ago, uh, a person I work with was trying to explain to me her definition of religion. Uh, She knew I was a Christian and thought that I'd be interested to know what she believed. Um, And it it wasn't a a very long discussion. But what stuck with me was that she defined her religion as simply following the golden rule. Following the golden rule. Which is what? Which is to treat others the way you would like to be treated. And so, doesn't that sound familiar Right? Doesn't that sound familiar? And I wasn't sure if she was a Christian because many religions outside of Christianity or even in secular culture you know, seem to adopt this catchphrase. And it becomes kind of a generic religion to follow the golden rule. But it's really taken from the command of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the law and the prophets. And it's essentially the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. But beloved, the the moment that you interpret the second great commandment, or even the first great commandment out of its context, or out of context, or out of historic Christianity, you know, you are in danger of making a religion dependent upon your law-keeping, rather than a religion that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And, and notice how our passage right after the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, 25, 37, in which Jesus answers the lawyer at the end saying, you go and be a true neighbor. Go and do likewise. And then verses 38 to 42, Luke turns to Martha and Mary to show us a living parable on why receiving and trusting Christ to transforms us is necessary before we can truly love others in the way that truly pleases and glorifies God. And that's what we see in Mary, which is a picture of how Jesus desires to transform our lives by first drawing us to himself to be in his presence and to receive the words of life. Because in order to truly love God and neighbor according to the golden rule, you need to be renewed by the power and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who calls us to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to trust him. And so the central truth of our passage is that since Jesus transforms and sustains his people through his life-giving word, we must daily come to him for the nourishment of our souls. We must come to him for the nourishment of our souls. But the problem is we forget the basics, don't we? We forget the basics. We can be like Martha in which serving is a God-honoring thing, but it can turn sour and sinful when we get distracted. When preoccupation with serving becomes our top priority in our hearts to the point where it's all about you. It's all about your service and your work. And then you begin to listen to yourself rather than listening to Jesus until you finally muted him out. And so, how can we overcome this temptation? How do we realign our hearts to prioritize the nourishment of our souls? Well, there are three main truths I want us to think about this evening. Three main truths is first, realize your distractions. Receive his correction. And then finally, receive his life-giving word. Realize your distractions, distractions. receive his correction, and finally receive his life-giving word. And first, you need to realize your distractions. And we can see this in Martha, right? How did she become distracted? Well, the scene unfolds for us in verse 38 when Jesus entered a village. And we know the village to be Bethany, uh, which is about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem, and, and Bethany is where Jesus visited the home of his three friends, right? Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But on our story, the camera focuses on Jesus' encounter between the two sisters. The first sister who initiates hospitality is Martha. We see Martha rolling the red carpet to welcome Jesus into her home. And then in verse 39, Luke introduces the second sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching while Martha was serving. And what do we see here? What do we see? Well, notice the posture between Martha and Mary. Mary had her eyes and ears peacefully glued to Jesus, sitting at his feet, 
hanging on to his every word. Well, Martha, on the other hand, wasted no time. She, she got to work. She went into the kitchen preparing the meal, and Martha was committed to Israelite hospitality at its best. After all, it's not every day Jesus comes to your doorstep. And Jesus, by this time in the story, Jesus had already healed the sick, casted out demons, and raised a girl from the dead. And the message he proclaimed was a message of kingdom hope in a way that attracted other people but infuriated others like the Pharisees. And then Jesus comes to town saying, well, I'm staying at your house today. And so can you imagine the, the mixed emotions and pressure Martha must have felt? Surely, like Martha, we wouldn't want to mess things up if Jesus came to our house. And we know from John 11 that Jesus loved his three friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were followers of Jesus. But like any two siblings, they aren't exactly alike. Martha and Mary were as different as night and day. Mary is the, the kind of contemplative type, a woman of few words, yet affectionately devoted to Jesus. Well, Martha, on the other hand, seems to be more of the assertive type, right? She is the loyal. She is the hardworking and honest with words who profess true faith in Jesus in John 11, 27, John 11, 27. And so receiving Jesus into their home appears to be going smoothly. Martha welcomes Jesus while Mary attends to Jesus. And so, so far, so good, right? Until the narrator reveals a shift in the story where we see in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And so we see that it turns from good to bad. The verb distracted there is in the passive, in which it has this sense of being pulled away, pulled and dragged away from a reference point. Because Martha's initial focus was Jesus at the door. And there's nothing wrong with that, but as soon as she labored, and the more she thought of her to-do list, and perhaps added to it, her focus got pulled away. She became preoccupied, overburdening herself with many things on her plate and being distracted of much service that she really forgot about Jesus and why Jesus was there for them. And, and Mary, on the other hand, knew why he came and she availed herself not merely to entertain Jesus, but to receive something that Jesus desires for all of his children to receive. And that is the words of life. And so you see, beloved, as kingdom citizens, we're all called to ministry to serve God and our neighbor. And I mean ministry in this broad sense because it isn't just limited to those who serve in official capacity in the church. I mean, you could be a father or a mother or a grandparent, a son, daughter, a student, an office worker, janitor, nurse, technician, design, whatever it may be, because we are all called to glorify God and to serve him diligently in our callings. But even as we are called to serve, 
we must, we must not forget that God's people are first called by his grace to commune with him, to commune with our triune God, to be in fellowship with Christ by his word and spirit, and especially to receive our regular nourishment through word and sacrament every Sunday. Because being in regular communion with our God and being renewed by his word on a regular basis is the means by which we receive his wisdom and strength and assurance in the Christian life. But like Martha, sometimes our hearts can be easily distracted and get pulled away in which our hearts can become preoccupied with many things to the point where serving can be an idol. Serving now becomes all about you. And as one Reformed minister comments, he says, it's not open sin or flagrant breaches of God's commandments alone which lead to men to eternal ruin. It is far more frequently an excessive attention to things in themselves lawful. You hear that? Excessive attention to things in themselves lawful. In other words, even the things that are good, such as serving at home or work or in ministry, can become sinful when that takes the top priority of our hearts. And so believers aren't meant to be like the seed that fell among the thorns, hearing the word but then choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And so as we reflect upon this tendency, we need to ask ourselves, is there anything taking the place of God in your heart? Right? Are you in danger of working and serving in a way that's spiritually unhealthy and excessive? Because the solution is that Jesus invites us to come to him and, and for him to help us see the areas in our lives that need to be checked, that need to be reevaluated because Jesus provides the grace to draw us near to him, to hear him, and to refocus our gaze looking to him, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so where did Martha's distraction continue to lead her? Well, we can see in the story, it doesn't get any better, does it? Notice in verse 40, she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. See how this situation had turned from good to bad, and then now to ugly. Like Martha, we can overburden ourselves until we allow the feeling of self-pity to creep in. We think, well, poor me. I'm left all alone to do all this work, and I just feel hopeless. Christian author Elizabeth Elliot paints a picture of self-pity when she wrote, self-pity is a death that has no resurrection, a sinkhole from which no rescuing hand can drag you because you have chosen to sink in. And so the more we feel self-pity, the more our feelings can spiral in all sorts of directions where sometimes we can be resentful of others who don't help us or fail our expectations. Just like when Martha began blaming Mary for being overburdened, 
But not only that, we see that Martha puts on a kind of self-righteous, judgmental attitude. She declares that her work is much nobler than lazy Mary who just sits there. And that's another danger, isn't it? When we start looking at our performance and compare it with others, we end up measuring our worth based on how much we've achieved. And so you can imagine how ugly this can look when Jesus and his word is no longer your focus. And with these sinful attitudes, we can see Martha acting out. You see her marching up to Jesus saying, Lord, don't you care that Mary left me all by myself alone in the kitchen? If you only knew how much work that had to be done, you would have said something to her. Notice Martha's actions now, how she also blames Jesus. But not only that, she's going to command Jesus what to do. She says to him, Lord, you tell her to help me. And so Martha, who started out in the beginning with an attractive attitude of hospitality, quickly became very unattractive, especially how her actions spiraled to something very ugly. And that's why through Martha, God is reminding us that we need to regularly check our hearts right? We, we need to realize that there is a real temptation to be overburdened and distracted, even in lawful things such as serving that could lead to sin. And, how, and so how does Jesus respond to Martha? Does he follow her command because he was unaware of her concern? Does Jesus tell Mary, hey, get up, go in the kitchen and help your sister since that's more important? No, Jesus refuses to follow Martha's command because he knows what's best for her. Just like at times when he doesn't grant what we request because he knows what we need. And and sometimes what we need is not always what we want. Of course, Jesus knew that Martha was slaving away in the kitchen and he allowed her to be overburdened so that when she came marching up to him, he was ready to reveal what was brewing in her heart. And she needed her heart not only to be exposed, but to lovingly receive his correction. And so that's the second main truth, is that after realizing our distractions, we need to receive his loving correction. The Lord says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Notice how Jesus corrected Martha, right? He, he addressed her by saying her name twice. He says, Martha, Martha, right? That doubling of Martha's name has a loving tone in some intense way, such as when David says, O Absalom, my son, my son, or when Jesus laments, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children? And in the same way, beloved, when Jesus corrects us, it's not out of hatred, it's not out of bitterness, but of love, right? We see in Hebrews chapter 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, there were many times I wanted to do things my way. 
right? I, I would easily get distracted with doing really other things at the wrong time, whether playing too much or tinkering with things outside, when really I should have been inside doing my homework or eating dinner. And whenever my parents were correcting me, I didn't see it as good. I didn't see it as good for me. And I thought I was wiser than my parents. And I thought I knew better. And, but you know, 20 years later, I become a parent and realize really how much lack of wisdom I had when I was much younger. And that my parents' correction was not because they were mean, but because they loved me and they knew what's best for me. And so, beloved, how much more does God love us to correct us, to reveal our sin and to give us wisdom where we lack wisdom? Knowing Jesus had loved us so much despite our sin, by giving himself up for our justification and to grant his spirit who sanctifies us and who gives us ears to hear and hearts to understand the words of life that only God can give. And because as Apostle Paul says, he says, you are in Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And so, beloved, do you see the loving correction of Jesus? Do you see his loving discipline? Jesus revealed Martha's anxiety and troubles about many things. But again, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about our callings. That's not what we're saying. We shouldn't, that's not that we're not caring about our duty to provide or our responsibilities and our families or our businesses. You know, these are certainly many things that we can't neglect. Because if we did neglect them, then that too would be sinning. Like, for example, Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Or in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where Paul warns about idleness, right? And not idleness about not being busy at work. However, we're, we are reminded that if our concern for this, these things become our identity, which could manifest itself in sinful, destructive ways then it becomes problematic when you have made it your identity as opposed to having your identity in Christ. And so how can Jesus cure our anxieties? How can he cure our troubles with many things? Well, the answer brings us to our last point, which is to receive his life-giving word to receive his life-giving word. And why? Well, it's because it's surely by his word that we receive Christ, doesn't it? Jesus says in verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And that's Christ by his word, isn't it? Notice how Jesus doesn't say two things or three things, but one thing is necessary and only one. And it sounds simple, yet often forgotten, isn't it? Because he's showing us the clear contrast between the many things we can be worried about while there's only one thing he desires for us to receive, which is Christ by his life-giving word. And that's the good portion. 
And another way to understand good portion is that Mary chose the best portion. Since the adjective in the Greek can be in the superlative, the best portion. And that's what Luke wants to show us. That through Mary's choice, Jesus Jesus desires to give us himself. And that's ultimately what he did in his death, in his resurrection and ascension. So that now we can be in his presence. And now we can be nourished and assured by his gospel through his word and sacrament. Because without it, beloved, the cares of this world, as one preacher says, will insensibly eat up our spirituality and bring leanness on our souls. And so you see, beloved, as we think about our priorities, there are a few things we want to avoid. And I've appreciated the insights from Reverend Phil Riken on his commentary on Luke on this point. That first, we don't want to give the impression that our highest priority in communing with God is just another you know, checklist or to-do list. Right? That's, that's not what it is. Which could be a tendency for those who are like the Martha type where it's just another duty, where it's just another thing to place on top of my to-do list. Well, no, because the idea is that communion with God is not something that we do for Him. Rather, it's something that Christ, by His Spirit, is doing for us, and that He calls us to Himself to give life by His Word. And as we commune with Him, as we receive His grace, we receive it from Him. And by his grace, we are then empowered to go out into the world to serve God and our neighbor and to serve without worry or anxiety, knowing that our identity is not how much we accomplish, not in our best efforts, but what Christ has accomplished for us. And then second, we want to avoid the idea that we all have to put on a type of a merry type of personality in order to prioritize Jesus. Right? All of us are wired differently because God made the Marthas and the Marys and every type of person in his kingdom. And so if we're like the Marthas in the world and are weak and taking the time to listen, to be in communion, then we need to seek encouragement and guidance from brothers and sisters in Christ who are strong in this area. But on the flip side, if we're like the Marys in the world, and are only contemplative, but never motivated to be fruitful in the Christian life, then we also need to be encouraged and reminded about how God's grace through his word motivates and empowers us for for fruitful service wherever God calls us. And so in closing, beloved, whether you're a Martha or a Mary type or none, none of the above, Christ continues to assure us that the good portion the best portion, the one thing necessary for body and soul in life and in death is Christ himself. And so, beloved, whatever guilt or worries or anxieties, whether you feel unmotivated or preoccupied, the only cure is to trust him who loved us and who gave himself for us so that we could sit at his feet to receive his word and be empowered by his grace so that you may serve your king. Because Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 11, 29, 30, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so, beloved, may you find 
that promise to be a healing balm and refreshment for your souls. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have drawn us to sit at the feet of Christ. And so help us with the words that we have heard to be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. And with pure affection, may our hearts be filled with love and reverence for you. Cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to live in holiness, diligently following your ways. And may it please you to use us to lead those who are lost, who are wandering and confused into the way of truth. All this we pray for the honor and praise of your name, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.